Moncrief with Energlaze on News Talk. Belfast has just unveiled a statue of the 19th century uh, abolitionist Frederick Douglass. It's the first time in Europe he's been commemorated in this way, which is something of a surprise given it, that it's taken all this time. Douglass had deep connections with Ireland and spoke publicly here dozens of times. Christine Keneally is director of Ireland's Great Hunger Institute at the Quinnipiac University in Connecticut and is the author of Frederick Douglass and Ireland. Christine, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hi. Uh, now, did he, would it be the case that he left the US because he kind of had to leave the US? He had to. Um, he was an escaped slave and there was a law called the Fugitive Slave Act, which meant that any escaped slave was literally a fugitive slave. And if they were captured, they could be returned to enslavement and punished. He tried to escape a few times before he finally escaped when he was 20 years old. Shortly afterwards, he linked up with the abolitionist movement. He started lecturing. He became a star performer. And in 1845, he wrote his life story, The Narrative. And this became a bestseller. And it really propelled him into the front of the abolition movement. Mm -hmm. And so at this point, he knew he was really in danger of being captured. So he was persuaded by his friends he needed to get out of America. So August 1845, he sailed to Liverpool, stayed there for two days, and then sailed onward to Dublin. Yeah. Now, and, and was the reason he came to Dublin because he was essentially offered safe harbour here? Um, in Britain and in Ireland, both countries had very strong abolitionist movements, but particularly so in Ireland. And in Dublin, there was a printer, um, Richard Webb. He was a Quaker. He was a very committed abolitionist. He was a pacifist. He lived on what is now Pier Street, but he was a printer. And he had offered that if Frederick came to Ireland, he would reprint the narrative, 2,000 copies, and that would allow Frederick to sell them and give him some income while he was in exile. Mm. So Frederick came to Dublin initially to oversee the printing of the narrative, but then he later wrote he was made to feel so welcome. He stayed in Ireland for four months. Yeah, and he was—he was—he was already before he came, as I understand it, a fan of Daniel O'Connell. He was a great fan of O'Connell. He said he first heard of O'Connell in 1838. And if I could say, um, Daniel O'Connell was one of the greatest human rights activists internationally and abolitionists of the day. So he was very famous in America. He was often quoted in the main abolitionist newspaper. And Frederick later said. He heard of this man, Daniel O'Connell, in 1838, when O'Connell refused to shake the hands of the American ambassador to Britain. And he accused him of being a slaveholder and a slave breeder. And the American ambassador challenged O'Connell to a duel, which O'Connell refused to fight. Hmm. But Frederick said when he heard the name of O'Connell, um, damned by the, his masters, he knew if his masters hated him, that he should love him. So, again, one of his purposes in being in Ireland was he hoped to meet his hero, Daniel O'Connell. And he did, one assumes. He, he did. And um, it was Frederick had been in Ireland for about four weeks. And Daniel had been in Cahistavin, home at Derrynan. And he returned to Dublin. And he held a repeal meeting. There were weekly repeal meetings in a place called Conciliation Hall. Sadly, now long gone, but on the Liffey. And Frederick attended a meeting. It was full. There were 3,000 people there. Frederick was at the back of the hall. But when Daniel O'Connell sat down, 
um, the host started to empty out and Frederick moved to the front and he was introduced to O'Connell. And O'Connell turned around and said to people, stop, I want you to hear our young visitor from America speak. And so 27-year-old Frederick Douglass got on the stage and had to make a speech, an impromptu speech, in front of his hero, O'Connell. No, and he was, by all accounts, uh, very gifted at making impromptu speeches. Also, that book you mentioned earlier on, he, he was he his literacy was self-taught because I think it was a criminal offence to to teach a black person to read and write. It absolutely it was, and um, he was working in a household, and the mistress of the house started to teach him his ABC. He was about seven or eight, and the husband intervened and said no. But Frederick later explained at this stage he realised that literacy would be a pathway to freedom, and so by all sorts of means he really taught himself to read, to write. And not only that, he used the book, The Columbian Orator, which um, was collecting the 50 great speeches. And he studied that book. He had it till the day he died. And from that, he learned how to make a speech, how to construct an argument. And the other great thing about the book was the speeches by two Irish men in it, Sheridan and Arthur O'Connor, a United Irishman. And so through that book also, Frederick Douglass came to learn a bit about Irish history and about Irish patriotism. Mm-hmm. And, so, and, and so then after that first meeting uh, with O'Connell, did he essentially embark on a bit of a tour of Ireland giving speeches? He did. Um, again, he was asked to speak first in Dublin. He spoke in City Hall, 3rd of September. The hall was crowded, so they kept moving him venue to venue. Hmm. Every time the hall, wherever he spoke, was crowded. And so then he was asked to actually travel down to Waterford, to Wexford, to Cork. He did one day trip to Yall where he spoke. Then he went to Limerick, came back to Dublin, didn't speak. And then early December, he travelled up to Belfast, where he remained till early January. And then from Belfast, he went to Scotland. My word. And the reaction to him, because one, you know, uh, um, in all fairness, at the time, probably the vast majority of people who went to hear him speak would probably have never seen a black person in their lives before. Was there a certain amount of going to see him out of novelty? Novelty, yeah, he was exotic, but he very quickly established himself as a talented orator. Mm. Um, so he would speak for up to two hours without notes. He was very theatrical. He was a great mimic. He could quote poetry. He could quote Bible. He knew the American law against slavery. And he was just um, someone who held the audience in his hand. And he was funny. Um, and at times, as he travelled through Ireland, he got more comfortable and he loved music. So at times he would sing songs from America for his audience. So I think they were mesmerised, enchanted, and just appalled by the story he told. Mm. Because he could tell the first-hand tale of what it was like to be enslaved. That was something white abolitionists could not address. Yeah, indeed. So after after he spent all that time in Ireland and, and went down to Scotland, did he do similar things in Scotland or where did he go after that? Yeah, he Scotland and then down to Britain. In total, he was away for 20 months. Uh, but unfortunate, or whether unfortunate or not, in Scotland, he became involved in the campaign, asking the Presbyterian churches who were taking money from the southern states in America to... I'm sorry, this is an ambulance, to send back the money. Mm. Um, he claimed it was blood-stayed money. But this actually angered Presbyterians, initially in Scotland and then in Belfast. And it actually, the campaign failed and it got some anger towards him. 
but for the most part, and when he travelled down through Britain, um, he was very warmly received and very much appreciated. And if it was women abolitionists in England and Ireland who purchased his freedom. Mm. Ah, right. So that's how that came because he should. Because he, he did have a family back in the states, but they were they were safe. They were, he when he was twenty, he was twenty when he escaped, and he arrived in New York. Changed his name to D- Douglas. That was not his birth name. His birth name was Bailey, and he sent for Anna Murray, the woman who had helped him to escape, and they married. And when he left for exile when he was 27, they had four young children. So he was very anxious to get back to his family. Mm-hmm, of course, yeah. So then when they bought his freedom, and, and I suppose it, 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 given he was, such a, he was such a vocal figure, I, you'd wonder what kind of negotiations they had to, uh, to buy that freedom. So then he was free to go back, to, go back home. Yeah, there was actually a whole process of buying freedom. I think it cost $100 at the time, so quite a fortune. But it was a very legalistic process, so it wasn't a quick process. So the letters were going backward and forward between the lawyers. But these women stuck at it. And um, so they managed to get his freedom. And so April 1847, he sailed back to America. And how, how much longer did he live? He lived to a grand old age. He was born 1818 and he died 1895. He was 77 years wow, old. Okay. And that day he was in Washington. He'd been to um, a women's meeting and the, he was a great feminist. The women had given him a standing ovation. He came back to have dinner with his wife and he was leaving for another meeting and had a heart attack. My word, hell of a story. Christine, thanks very much for uh, talking with us today. Christine Keneally there is Director of Ireland's Great Hunger Institute at Quinnipiac University in Connecticut and the author of Frederick Douglass and Ireland. Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm. With Anna Glaze on News Talk.